Well, good morning, church. My name's Phil Shields. I'm one of the teaching pastors here at Wheaton Bible Church. And if you're visiting with us for the first time, I'm so glad that you're here. I would love the opportunity to meet you. You are free to ask any question you want, in fact. And so I'll be up front here afterwards and would love the opportunity to meet you today um, and hopefully help you get to know us as a church a little better. I want to invite you to turn in your copy of the scriptures to Ephesians chapter 6. We're going to be at Ephesians chapter 6, and then you're also going to want to have your finger uh, available to flip back to Ephesians chapter 3 here in just a moment. Now, before we read this text, we're going to stand here in a moment out of reverence for God's word, but before we do that, I'm going to do something that I have never ever done whenever I have been preaching. I want to actually give you an out. I want to uh, allow you to actually leave. The reason I am giving you an out is because, uh, and just so you know, I'm not going to judge you. When we stand, you can walk out. I'll keep my head down in the Word of God, and I won't judge you for it. But the reason that I want to give you an out is because the text that we're reading today is a text that, one, has convicted me so deeply when it comes to the area of prayer, that once we start digging into it, that we are not going to be just coming into a church service and sitting here like it's a routine, we actually are going to be called to live something out because that's what God does when we start to open his word. And so if you're not prepared to take on the calling that that Paul writes about and that God is is asking us to do as disciples, I want to give you an out for this morning. But if you stay, I want to invite you to ask God to do whatever he wants to do, speak, convict you, remove from your life. I want you to ask him to do all of that over the next 30 minutes. Because I can't imagine what it would be like if we as disciples become so passionate about the prayer that Paul talks about in Ephesians 6 and what God would do all around this place. So with that, I'm going to invite you to stand. So as we stand, we're in Ephesians 6. We've been reading verses 14 uh, through uh, 19 or through 20. And today I want to just focus on verse 18. Ephesians 6, 18 says this. And pray in the Spirit on all occasions with all kinds of prayers and requests. With this in mind, be alert. Always keep on praying for all the Lord's people. Now flip back to Ephesians 3. In Ephesians 3, we find Paul praying this text. I want to start at verse 14 with just this sentence. For this reason, I kneel before the Father. Going to verse 16. I pray that out of his glorious riches, 
He may strengthen you with power through his spirit in your inner being so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith. And I pray that you, being rooted and established in love, may have power together with all the Lord's holy people to grasp how wide and long and high and deep is the love of Christ. And to know this love that surpasses knowledge, that you may be filled to the measure of all the fullness of God. And so, Father, we come before you now. I ask that you would use my words and that my words would not be false, that you would speak truth, and that as we are here, all of us in this room, that we would participate in looking at your word and you having your way in our life. Help us to be the disciples that are passionate and bold for you. Help us to see what you desire to do in and through us as we speak to you and listen to you in prayer. So guide us today. And it's your name I pray. Amen. You may have a seat. So the previous weeks, we've been in this series called Spiritual War, and we've been looking at the armor of God. This armor that we are to put on, and verse 18 is actually the conclusion to that section of Scripture. And I want to just remind you, I want to put it on the screens, that we have this armor that we put on. First we were talking about the belt of truth, and then we were looking at this breastplate of righteousness, that our feet as disciples are to be fitted with the gospel of peace, that we have this shield of faith that we take up, or this helmet of salvation and the sword of the Spirit, that all this armor is given to us that we are called in, in Ephesians 6 to put this on, and we're, we're told to do this. Now, whenever I read this text and look at the armor of God, one of the things that I expect at the end of this, when Paul is telling us that we are to put this on, that Paul is getting ready to say, put on all these pieces of armor, now charge. And yet, in verse 18, he doesn't say that. He says, pray. He says simply that we must pray. This isn't the way that I would have written it. You know, I think I would have written it with, you know, run into battle. You have all the armor. Do this. And yet I'm reminded that whenever I read this text, that there's really this truth and principle that comes out. And really, Paul has it through all of his letters. And this truth is simply this, that a life called to stand in the battle is a life empowered by being on your knees. See, you're not called to charge. You're not called to actually run. You're called to stand. And that if you're going to stand in the battle that you are in, you're going to be empowered by being on your knees. Earlier in my life, I played college basketball. 
It was towards the end of my sophomore season, and I can vividly remember running after a loose ball and diving for it. And as soon as my body hit the ground, I felt this pain just streak through my back. I didn't think anything of it then because I was a strange college student. And so I just kind of kept on going, but this pain would come uh, often and my back would seize up so that I couldn't move. And eventually I went to the doctor and I had all these scans done. And they came and they said, your, your spine has been compressed and the cartilage is like all bruised in there and you have this hairline fracture. And so for the next uh, 10 months, you're going to go through rehab and you have to wear this brace that's going to go underneath your clothing and around to, to just keep you straight and to, to help your spine. So for like the next 10 months, everywhere I went, I was sweating because I had this thing wrapped around and I would go to uh, this therapy and I would be wearing this brace and I would be doing these small movements and these small exercises that didn't seem like it was doing anything. It seemed insignificant. See, I wanted to get back out with my teammates. I wanted to be playing in a summer league. I wanted to be doing all these things that I normally was doing, and yet I was stuck in a room with a person that was making me basically move in inches. And so I would do all of these things, and what I began to realize is the small what I thought insignificant movements and exercises were doing were actually empowering my body to get back to where it needed to be. Now here's the thing. I tell you that because the problem we have as believers is that often we want to move forward thinking we have on the complete armor of God and we view prayer as insignificant little movements rather than the very thing that we need to empower the armor. See, we as believers can, can look at this and we have this time where we start to, to forget what we are to be about. And Paul is writing it here. I want you to, to notice that as we look at this text, that there is one of the most significant theological words in all of Scripture found in this verse. If you are still open, I want you to, to look at verse 18 in chapter 6. The most significant theological word that we can't miss this morning is the word and. Now, you've probably never thought that that's actually a theological word. You've probably never thought, well, and, what, what does that mean? But and actually deals with the main problem for you and me. And moves us to this place where we often operate as people with a spiritual checklist, and yet and moves us to the place that we are supposed to be as disciples of Christ. You might be going, well, how do I have a spiritual checklist? Well, for some of us, we can say, I came to church today, so I have put on the belt of truth. I'm saved, so I have on the helmet of salvation. 
I'm actually carrying a physical Bible rather than those heathens that use their phone. And so I actually have a real sword. We have a checklist. We do it all the time. We have these checklists, these spiritual checklists that we put into our life and in a variety of ways we walk through it and we forget and we miss the point of what we are called to. See, and reveals the problem of our nature. The problem you have, the problem I have. See, because we're sinful people, we lean towards this thought, this idea that we are powerful in and of ourselves. We tend to look at all the verses prior to verse 18, and we say we put on this armor, and as soon as we start putting on the armor, we start having these thoughts that we are powerful, that we are these soldiers, that we can go, and it's a false perspective on what we're called to. See, we miss the, the, the thought and we forget where the source of the armor comes from. We forget that without the armor and the nakedness that who we are and what we need. And so we end up throughout Scripture are reminded that the power to serve God, the power to live for God, the power to be God's people, to defeat the sin, to stand in the battle, doesn't originate with us. It comes through a Savior that's full of grace and mercy. And Paul, recognizing this in his dealing with all the religious leaders, he says, put on this armor, this armor that comes through faith. Now here's what we have to understand is that your faith has competition. Your faith and what you believe in and, and the faith that you put in either God or other things, there's this competition that's taking place. See, for some of you, you're sitting here today and your faith is actually in your worry. Your faith is actually in your bank account, in your status, in your future, in your kids' success. Your faith can be in your significant others. And all those things can live on the throne of your heart. And so faith has this competition and then Paul ends up coming and he says... He uses this deep theological word, and. And so he says, put on this armor, and. And the reason he's saying that is because we are a people that we forget so often where we must go. And pray in all things. And pray in the Spirit. So when we look at this, Anne takes us from standing in armor to kneeling before a king. And takes us, it reminds us of our tremendous need for that king and that the armor that we are given always comes through communion with the Savior. And so when we look at this, I want to ask you, how is your communion with the Savior today. How is that taking place? See, this armor that we put on is a, an armor not of knowledge, but it's an armor of transformation. 
It's an armor that changes us. And so he ends up saying, focus on the source of hope and pray in the Spirit. See, and leads us to this specificity. Prayer without the Spirit is prayer relying on our own strength. See, it's, it's us trying to push things forward. And Paul's connecting to this, that in the midst of a spiritual battle, we don't have the capability and the strength to pu- push our prayers forward. That's why we need the source of the armor, the Holy Spirit, to be the one that we are praying in. So, a life called to stand in the battle is a life empowered by being on your knees. So what does it mean then to pray in the Spirit? Because I believe that we have a room full of people that are praying. But Paul says to pray in the Spirit. Not to charge, but to stand firm. So there's two ways that I, I think we need to look at this. If we're going to pray in the Spirit, we have to unite ourselves with actually two deep, deep things for disciples' lives. The first thing that we, in order to pray in the Spirit, is that we have to be praying in unity with the Bible. In unity with the Bible. There's an author, Oswald Chambers, and he says this. He says that in our battles, we pray in the Spirit by being in harmony with the Word of God. See, if we're going to be worshiping and serving a God as glorious as what we do, we have to understand that He will never speak in different terms or go against His character. And so we have to look at this and we have to say, this is a living and active book in our life that wants to radically transform us. And in order to pray in the Spirit, we have to know exactly what God says. So as a disciple, if you are not spending time here understanding, not just reading to get through a checklist, but reading to say, Lord, have your way, do whatever you want to do, then our prayers are going to be struggling. We won't be praying in the Spirit unless we go here first. So what's this look like in your life? How are you in harmony with the Word of God? How are you looking at the Word of God and saying, I want to soak this in, understanding that it is inspired that these, that these pages that we have are not just simple words that are written like some novel uh, that we can get from a bookstore. That this is the word of God. And how are we taking it in and praying along those lines? So we have to understand that in order to pray in the spirit, we have to be in unity with the word of God. But not only are we in unity with the word of God, we're, we also have to be in unity with the will of God. See, we have to pray in unity with the will of God. In Romans 8.27, it says this, and he who searches our hearts knows the mind of the Spirit because the Spirit intercedes for God's people in accordance with the will of God. See, praying in the Spirit means being unified with that will. 
And when we pray and, and looking at what is taking place, we have to understand that your will, my will, is not always the same as God's. In fact, the more you dig into this, the more you will realize that your will is vastly different. But as disciples, we let this soak in and we let God's will start to take over. And the reason this is important is because Paul is saying all of this, understanding that you are in a battle today. I don't know what's going on in your life. But he's saying that you have been given armor, that this battle is going to be taking place, and there's these battles for your will, for the throne of your heart. And he's saying, not only put on this armor, but you have to be praying in the Spirit, the source of all strength. And in order to do that, we must be going here and saying, Lord, what is your will? Now, I want to be honest with you. I hate often... Whenever I go to pray, I often, in those battles that I have, am asking for relief instead of asking for understanding. I mean, that's what we tend to do. We tend to ask for relief instead of understanding. And praying in the Spirit puts our object of our, our prayers on God's glory and instead of our personal blessings. It puts the object of our prayer on what God wants, what God wants to say to us and through us instead of saying, just give me relief. It's saying, I want to understand what you desire here. So how are you praying in the Spirit? As disciples, we are called to this. We are called to this each and every day. Now, I want to ask you a simple question. You don't have to raise your hand. But how many of you feel weak in prayer? Now, if you are saying, no, I don't feel weak in prayer, I'm going to tell you, you're a liar. And if you are going, yes, I feel weak in prayer, good. Good, that's how we should be. We should feel weak in prayer because weakness and a sense of not always getting what prayer is about doesn't shock God. And it's because prayer wasn't intended to be left on our own. We tend to think that prayer is something that we verbalize, but prayer is not just us talking. Prayer is communion with the creator of the world. Prayer is communion with the Savior who went to the cross. And when we are praying without understanding that, we are just praying for our will instead of the Spirit's direction. And let me remind you that if you are a believer, if you claim to be a Christian, the day of your salvation was the day that the Spirit started to indwell your life. What Paul writes about in Ephesians 6 is not something distant from you. It is something that you have right now. And so when we look at prayer, we have to understand that this is something that Oswald Chambers ends up saying, that praying in the Spirit is praying along the same lines about the same things in the same name as the Holy Spirit. 
Now here's the beauty in it. If you're praying along the same lines about the same things and in the same name as the Holy Spirit, here's what you're doing. You're copying someone. You're not coming up with your own things. You're actually copying where the Spirit is leading. But often when we read verse 18, we think it's difficult. And what we need to understand is we are called to be praying in this way. And so if I continue as I'm honest here, I often come to God with my own agenda, praying for the kingdom of me or my family, for my wants, for my desires. And the reason I tell you that is because I desperately want you to assess your prayer life today. When we are looking at what we are praying for, Paul is not saying, use the same prayer that you pray every time you sit down to a meal. He's saying, pray in the Spirit, because when you pray in the Spirit, you end up being enthralled with your Savior and pursuing His will rather than your own agenda. So, in one verse, in verse 18, Paul ends up telling us what this looks like then. Not only what prayer in the Spirit is, but he ends up saying, this is how it plays out. And so we are to pray in several different ways. And you can look at this in, uh, in your copy of the Scriptures. But in one verse, he uses a word four different times. And it's the word all. I mean, he is emphasizing something here. And so Paul ends up saying to pray on all occasions. So let me, let me just ask you, have you ever not wanted to pray? I mean, I'm sure there's been times you haven't wanted to pray. My wife would tell me there were some really dark times, and she would say things to me and say, well, let's pray. And I can remember saying, I don't want to pray. I don't want to do that right now. I just want relief. And when that happens, it's a reminder that we don't have the strength to do this on our own. It's a reminder of our need for the Spirit. And so whenever we are looking at this, we have to remember that bad seasons are going to come. Battles are coming towards you. And Paul's reminding us that when we pray in the Spirit, we pray in all occasions. So in the joys of life, when life is really, really good, and and you almost always forget, you pray. When things aren't really happening and things are stale, you pray. When things are in the darkest hour of your life, you pray. And so Paul is reminding us that disciples pray on all occasions. And you can only do that with the Spirit. He then says to pray all kinds of prayers. So it means that this goes from these repetitive prayers that we might have to praying for things that you never would ever think about. That you would never even comprehend. And so the the Spirit enables us to go from this praise to lament. The Spirit enables us to go from confessing to obedience. The Spirit, it, it helps us. He helps us to go from contemplating things to interceding for things. 
And on our own, we don't run the entire race of prayer. It's only when we start praying in the Spirit that we can do that. So we're to pray on all kinds of prayers. Then we're to pray and present all requests. Paul says the Spirit's going to help us request things that we don't even know that we have to request. Remember, the, the word and the will of God is different than what you will come up with on your own. And when that happens, when we start digging here, we end up understanding that we're going to start praying for requests that we've never even thought about. And this is going to drive us from from praying fleshly prayers to praying spirit-filled prayers. And so we're going to present all sorts of requests that we never even knew we were to make. And then it says to pray for all people. Now this is one that I just realized that whenever I was studying this, I'm going, why did he have to put this in? I don't want that. But the Spirit ends up reminding us to, to pray for all people. And it's the, the, it's the ones that we don't know that well. It's the ones that look different. It's the ones that speak different. It's the ones that think politically different. They eat different. They worship different. And in fact, they are my enemies. That I am to pray for all people. Now here's, here's where I want to, to get you just to even consider What if, as you're praying, the Spirit leads and puts on your mind to be praying for some stranger you've never met on the other side of the world at some specific time? And you're going, why is that popping in my head? And you pray. But let me just give you a glimpse. What if you enter heaven and some stranger that looks totally different than you, walks up to you and says, I know you. On Sunday, February 9, 10 o'clock in the morning, you were praying for me. And this is what I was going through. And I thank you because I'm here today because you prayed. Now here's the deal. You might think, well, that's crazy. And I'm going to tell you, the Spirit's crazy. Because it's happening. And so we're to pray for all people. We aren't to just stay focused on our loved ones in our own little kingdom. We're to be expanding our prayer and asking the Spirit to lead us to that. Now, how does that happen? Well, I believe it happens because of what we see in Ephesians 3. See, Ephesians 3 is actually this foundation for Ephesians 6, and Paul never changes the the course that he takes, but in Ephesians 3, it ends up being this beautiful prayer, and we find out how this takes place. For many years, I was involved in student ministry, and so I would, at the end of every school year, I would spend time giving one last charge to our seniors. Every year I started praying this prayer from Ephesians 3, 14 through 21. 
and I would pray it over them. And as I started doing this, the, the reason that I started praying is because this prayer is the foundation for us as disciples so that when we get to the battle, we know how to stand and we know where to find the source of our strength. In Ephesians 3, we find that the Spirit wants to strengthen you with power and that there is power in prayer. But in order for that to happen, we end up needing to pray that Christ would dwell in our hearts more and more and more. And the reason is, is because Paul wants to un- us to understand that in order for us to start putting on this armor and to be standing in battle, we have to understand the length, the height, the depth, the width of Christ's love. And when we start understanding that and looking at that, we are blown away because the reality is, is that we're never going to fully understand it. He's using lengths of measurement to get us to understand the beauty of the cross. He's getting us to understand that it doesn't matter what is taking place in the world. The love of Christ is so massive that we can't comprehend it. And if we start looking at things that way, then we come before the Spirit and we are in awe of Christ's glory. And we kneel in the shadow of the cross. And we pray prayers that we never thought were possible. See, in this, he takes us from understanding in Ephesians 3 how massive Christ's love is. And in Ephesians 6, he says to be alert. Now here's why. We have to be alert to God's love. We have to be alert to God's love, and we have to be alert and aware of God's presence. Because when we look at the length and the width and the height and the depth of Christ's love, what we are alert to is how glorious and gracious that love is. Notice he doesn't say, be alert to the evil one. He says, be alert. And it's because the foundation of it all is the beauty of Jesus Christ. The reality for you and me is that our life isn't meant to just be lived. Our life is to be prayed. Every moment of every day. And then this is the beauty of it. Henry Nouwen ends up writing this. He says, prayer is not what is done by us, but rather what is done by the the Holy Spirit in us. So how are you praying today? How are you going before the throne room of heaven? Are you praying in the Spirit? Because we have to remember that a life called to stand in the battle is a life empowered by being on our knees. And may we wear our knees out. Let's pray. Father, I I want to grasp the beauty of your love.
I so desperately want to know how amazing you are. So that when I see the beauty of the cross and the beauty of an empty tomb, that I am overwhelmed and in awe. And in that, Lord, I, I end up coming to you and asking for you to push my agenda aside so that I pray your word and your will. And I ask, Lord, that you would move in us as a church, that you would move in us as a people, that we would realize that our agendas and our wills are not from Scripture, and that we would surrender to you, and that we would pray in the Spirit, and we'd be praying in all occasions, and that we would be praying for all people that we would be presenting requests that we didn't even know that we had. And because of that, you are glorified. So have your way in us. Help us. And thank you for your spirit. And it's your name I pray. Amen.